welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer, and this is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is titled About You. It is from the album Bodies of Water, and it is by Moontype. And my guest today is Margaret McCarthy, and this is a goddamn good episode. I had a great time talking to Margaret McCarthy, as well as if by chance you haven't heard this album, Go and stream it right now. Well, after this episode of the podcast. Or you could listen to the album, then listen to the podcast, then go buy the album, because streaming is fine, but it doesn't pay the artist what it should. I bought the album. I wish I would have bought it earlier so I could have a record copy, but I have a digital copy, and I like to support. So please, and just for so you know, all things... Margaret McCarthy and Moontype are in the show notes. So please go to the website and the band camp and buy things and support music. And speaking of which, during this conversation, I, I the brain, you'll notice, kind of couldn't remember some things. And I was trying, at one point I was talking about Joe Bassard, uh, who's this big record collector, a bunch of 78s and stuff. I couldn't remember his name. Anyway, his name is Joe Bassard, and the song he played that I talked to her about is by Blind Willie Johnson, and it is called uh, The Dark... Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground. And it's an incredible song, and in the show notes, there's a YouTube link to, a vi- to the song, and I also uh, included a Joe Bassard article. Uh, he's pretty fascinating dude who passed away recently who was a huge 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 record collector and speaking of support and buying music and if you've your first time listener to this podcast you may not know this but i produced an album and curated an album with sub pop records filmmaker adam mckay and all proceeds go 100 percent of the proceeds go to the climate emergency fund because if you follow me on social media you'll know that uh Climate change is a big thing on my mind, and it should be everyone's. So anyway, the link to that album is in the show notes. It's a great album. There's, uh, boy, oh boy, there's everybody on it. There's uh, Frankie Cosmos, Cloud Nothings, Fake Fruit, Moby, Mud Honey, Death Valley Girls. Uh, a, it, there's 20 people. I can't even remember them all. But it's a great album. Please check it out. Yatsin. Yatsin also did the artwork. Uh, he's been on the podcast. All the artists have been on the podcast. Just side side note there. Um, if you are a first-time listener to the podcast, you could go to themattdwire.com. You could see all my past episodes. A lot of my episodes have a part two. Uh, Margaret and McCarthy and I talked for an extra long time, but I don't know if I'm going to post it because uh, we got into some real personal stuff, and I don't know if I want to share it with the world. But usually there's a part two. You could become a Patreon subscriber. Most of my episodes have a part two. You could go to themattdwire.com, become a Patreon subscriber, or just go to themattdwire.com. It is a jumping off point for all things that are me. And you can see my past episodes. I have done 350-something episodes, and they are great. And uh, my Patreon has blogs and all kinds of stuff. It's There's a bunch on there, so become a Patreon subscriber. And as well as I'd like to plug a book by uh, the great Dan Finkel. Dan Eric Finkel is a screenwriter, director, musical performance artist, and now he's an author. And he released a satirical, psychedelic satire called Taffles, Pants of Insanity. 
I know Dan, and I can vouch that he's an interesting, unique artist, and I would highly suggest uh, you purchase his book. And also with the book is an EP companion piece called Mr. Taffel's Pants of Insanity that you can stream on all services. Uh, links to this. Uh, oh, and he'll be performing this live karaoke style uh, and at the official book release, which is February 4th in Highland Park, uh, Los Angeles. Um, but I highly you could buy it on Amazon, and I will uh, that will the link to that will be in the show notes. It's sort of a uh, Vonnegut esque Douglas Adamsy type book. So if you like those guys, I certainly like Kurt Vonnegut. You might want to buy this book. And Dan Finkel, as I said, he's a very talented individual. Uh, that is it. All things in the show notes. Also, if you need a website, you could go to kellyrdwyer.com. That's my partner. She made my website. She does a lot of big, fancy websites. So go to kellyrdwire.com. Get a website. Thank you very much. I just I don't think I have anything else to say in my show notes about Ms. Margaret McCarthy. I'm very stoked. I really enjoyed talking to her. The album is incredible, and so is this conversation. I learned things. Um, but then again, remember, in the show notes, that's what... Or always your friend for this podcast because there's always links to what we talk about, where to buy things, etc., etc. So please enjoy my conversation with Margaret McCarthy of Moon Type. Flew over the holidays to see my family. And there was a moment, I was on a plane, and it smelled like gas, and we ended up, like, coming back off of the runway and getting off the plane. But there was, like, a 10-minute period where the, you know, the pilot and the flight attendants had acknowledged, like, we're not going to be flying on this plane because it seems unsafe. But all of us were stuck on the plane, um, like, as it was taxiing back, and everybody was just, like okay, like, trying to hold it together here. Everything's okay. Like, we're going to be okay. <laughs> it's kind of stressful. Have you ever been in that kind of, like, I might die situation before? Or... Um, I don't think so. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, don't like, remember that tiger that came at you? Yeah, I don't remember that tiger. <laughs> I just... I, I've had a couple of things and, and it's like, yeah. it's defining cause you, mm-hmm. and I feel like to a degree with the climate crisis, I'm like, you know, there's this looming reality yeah, and it's just sort of, I don't know. I've sort of embraced like, I, it, this sounds corny, but to a degree I've like embraced more of like who I am and just like, fuck it, you know, might as well live. <laughs> Not yeah. like doing coke and stuff, but just like live and, <laughs> you know, enjoy the moment, so to speak. Live while the living's available. Yeah. Yeah. While, while we, while we, while we can. Yeah. Definitely. As, does the climate concern you? I know this isn't about your music, but I'm just, cause you're younger. <laughs> um, yeah, it concerns me for sure. I think, um, I'm definitely someone who compartmentalizes things in a way where I'm like, okay, there's like this huge problem, but 
I don't know. It's hard to square that with living my daily life. Um, and I don't think I've how to do that. You know, it's like I can think about the climate crisis and then I like stop thinking about it and go back to like doing my regularly scheduled activities. <laughs> it's like I feel like there should be like some interface there that there's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if you thought about it 24 7, you would just crawl under a table with a bottle of whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which also would be nice. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, do you. I don't. I know you. Did you study geology? Like I did study geology, yeah. And I'm. But do you think that Carmen? God damn it! (laughs) I told you I was going to speak gibberish. (laughs) But is that part of your brain? Like you have to come. I can't get come. It's compartmentalized. Thank you. I don't know why I couldn't get it out. Yeah. Don't judge me. I would. I would. I've already judged myself, so. Okay. <laughs> but, like with, does that does that affect your approach to many things, like studying science like that, and your music? Well, okay, I think that studying geology, first of all, feels kind of like far away from me now because I didn't pursue it after college. Um, but I think that it gave me a sense of the earth and the planet that I really appreciate. Um, Just because the nature of geology is that like the earth is constantly changing. It's kind of like a living being. I mean, that's not really a scientific way of talking about it, but that's still what I got from, from studying that, that like, you know, when you think about how mountains are formed or, um, you know, meandering rivers changing their paths over time and leaving imprints of where they used to be. I guess it gave me a feeling of empathy for the earth, like the physical thing of the earth, because it feels like it's also a living being. And I also because geology is on such a huge time scale compared to human life, it gave me a feeling of like longevity with the earth where it's easier to feel like it will outlast this current crisis and like outlast us as humans, which is comforting to me. Um, Yeah. And that definitely, like, seeps into my music, and I don't know if it relates to me compartmentalizing things. I honestly think compartmentalizing things about climate change is kind of because I live I live in Chicago, which is a city, and it's also not a place that's super affected by climate change in an immediate way. So it's kind of easy to be like, well... I'm just hanging out with like a lot of bricks all the day. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, I'm not thinking about the sea level because I'm not looking at the sea or I'm not thinking about like forests getting cut down because there's no forests right by me, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Where it's like out of sight, out of mind kind of. Yeah. 
the viewing Earth as an organism, and it, I've read similar things about where, and I, I think sort of Buddhists to a degree, like think of the universe as an organism, and I'm like, why do we not? <laughs> like, it's just strange to me. So many people have this disconnect of what Earth is. Yeah. Like, it's just like one big target where you could take whatever you want and move on. <laughs> like, it's very yeah. baffling to me. Yeah. I feel like I don't understand that, but I do think it's something that people get, like, certain people get indoctrinated with that type of thinking at a super young age. And then it's like, okay, like, this is just kind of reality. Yeah. I mean, I have a seven year old, and every time she's just like, well, just go get more. And I'm like, that's not how it works, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, first of all, I don't have that much cash, but <laughs> like, there's other realities, but like. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe she'll get, you know, she's not going to go like cutting down a great tree. I, I hope not. Good. I'm trying my best to teach yeah. her. So yeah. I'm curious, though, because was. Did you study. Where did geology and music sort of cross paths for you in your sort of career path? Um, they didn't, except in my own brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I went to I went to Oberlin, and Oberlin has like a college and a conservatory that are, um, you know, they're like separate schools within the same school, and I originally went to the college and then I um, got into the conservatory my second year for the specific program that was um, technology and music and related arts, which is kind of like the electronic branch of the composition department. Um, but because it has the conservatory and the college, there's this program where you can do a degree in both. Um, and that's what I ended up doing. So I would study music in the conservatory and study geology at the college. And they didn't really cross over that much, except one thing that I do think is interesting that was fun for me while I was studying both of those things is that like I was in this electronic music program. So we were talking a lot about like the physics of sound and like how sound waves travel. Um, and in geology, we were talking about, like, the waves that happen with earthquakes or, like, the waves uh, over time of, um, like, greater temperature events. Like, you know, there's, like, ice ages and... Um, I forget so many of the terms now, but <laughs> it's like, you know, ages when like more of the earth was iced over and then when like more of the earth was covered in water um, that have happened many times over the span of geologic time. So I guess just the concept of like cycles and waves permeated both of those and tied them together for me in my mind. And then the other thing is, like, I think what I was just talking about, like, the idea of the Earth as an organism and um, just thinking about geology all the time definitely got into my songwriting in metaphors and images, um, which is something. Did, and 
what made you switch to start doing? Because I've I've read that you said that you never really thought that about music being a career. It just more of was like a thing that happened. But yeah. obviously, you were putting some effort forth to create music and write. Was it this something that just was in there that you kind of had to address? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it was. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're an incredible um, songwriter, I'd like would, so I, I can't imagine that just happened with ease. Yeah, or I did think it? Maybe it you're a genius. Because, I don't know. No, no, <laughs> I'm definitely not a genius. I think, um, yeah, I think I had something in me that I needed to express. I mean, I went to college not knowing at all what I wanted to study. I was just like, okay. You know, I grew up in a family and a community where, like, going to college was kind of expected. And I was like, okay, here I go. Going to college. And then... Um, <laughs> and then I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? And I took a bunch of different classes. And then I took um, this class that was within that music technology program, but it was for non-majors, just an intro. And I was like you know, staying up at in my dorm, like making beats out of kitchen appliances and stuff. And I was like, this is so fun. Like, I love this. I want to do this more. Um, Were you recording these beats with kitchen utensils and appliances? Yeah. Do you still have those? Uh, like in the depths of my hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's interesting. <laughs> and I also love that you were utilizing whatever was around you. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have, like, gear. I still don't have that much gear. But I was kind of like, oh, I just want to make some music. I think the other thing was, like, one of the very first things that we learned in that program was field recording. And we would go on... Um, like, I remember we had this one class where we went on a sound walk together and we were just like walking around campus and then we would like stop and listen at different places. And then, I don't know, it must have been our homework at one point, but we had these um, Tascam field recorders, which are just like, you know, handheld things that have a microphone on them. And I remember just like wandering around campus and like listening to different sounds and being like, oh, I'm going to record that, I'm going to record that. And then I put in my computer and just like mess around with it and at some point I was like well I want you know I want a drum beat on this but like I don't have drums I don't play drums and I just got here at the school and I don't know anybody who plays drums so like let me just hit this glass with a fork and use that instead <laughs> see you are a genius no well if you were a genius you wouldn't say you were a genius and if a genius says they're a genius, they're usually an asshole. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I've known some people yeah. who've claimed to be geniuses. And I'm like, can I get away from you now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't yeah, I wouldn't want to hang out. When you're but I'm like thinking of people in You what? <laughs> no, I'm just thinking of certain people in the world. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, I come from, I came from theater, but I was around, you know, there's always those people who just thought they had, they had it. And it's like, you don't, you're, you, what you have is something that I don't want to hang out with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Were you receptive when, cause I, cause like I said, I did theater and we used to do like 
exercises where we had to listen to the room and, and when you're young and taking these classes and doing spacewalks or whatever you're like what the fuck are you making me do but then mm. years later you go oh i get that <laughs> yeah. were you receptive to it right away or were you like why are we recording birds on a tree no i was into it i was into it from the start i was like this is awesome like i don't know why i just like i loved it I think it was like different than anything I'd done before and it was a new way of experiencing the world and I was like this is so cool. Did you have a were you receptive to sound say like as a young person various sounds in your environment? Um I mean I like I did music stuff from a young age but I don't I don't really remember like hanging out as a kid and listening to like the sounds that different air conditioners made or stuff like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think I didn't really think about it that hard until, until someone was like, why don't you think about this? And I was like, oh, yeah. When I was a kid, there were certain sounds that I, like our heater coming on at night somehow mm. calmed me. Like mm-hmm. it would like whoosh through the, whatever the vents. And I don't yeah. know why. And I could hear a distant train. And, like, uh, I kind of couldn't fall asleep until I heard the train. And to this day, both, I don't know, both bring me comfort, though I, it's really yeah. weird for the people when I go into my childhood home to listen to the vents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when, when you were, did, was that, does that resonate with you at all? Was that, like... It does, yeah. You know? No, when, exactly when you said, like, the heat, I was like, oh, yeah, the sound, the, the radiator's clanking. Oh, it's yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have radiators until I moved to where you are now, Chicago, but that was like... I have whoosh heating now, so... (laughs) (laughs) That's the technical term, is whoosh heating, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah. But I love, and I miss that. I miss that radiator sound. There's something, I don't know what it is. It's very comforting, and I don't know how one would describe it. Uh, Yeah. Though I have hurt myself on radiators especially really? I my getting out of the shower once I, <laughs> my butt <laughs> did you burn it I button bumped like you know picking up like a towel or something I my yeah. butt hit it it wasn't like you know there was grill marks like a cartoon or something <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. well you said how old were you when you started dabbling in music um I started piano lessons when I was maybe four or five. Wow. Was that imposed on you or did you want? No, it was my choice. I don't remember this because I was so young, but my mom has said like, you really wanted to take piano lessons. And like, we actually had to make, make you like you, like the piano teacher didn't want to teach kids younger than five. So I had to like wait a little bit, um, to start. That's because uh, kids at four say, or because I have kids, and they're like, at yeah. four they want to do shit, but they don't stick to it, and that's impressive. There's that you stuck to it, and that it. Yeah, and maybe there was a little bit of imposing with the sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think I was ever like very diligent at practicing, especially later on. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I kind of wish somebody would have imposed that stuff on me. Mm-hmm. 
but nobody like I think you it sounds like you had an academic family where my family was eh we become mechanics mm-hmm. yeah I definitely had a more academic family and also my mom studied music in college so there was like music around and encouraged as well was music always playing yeah. when you were small actually no but sometimes it was. <laughs> but I think, yeah, it's funny because I think, you know, I know my mom cares a lot about music and my dad does to a certain extent. And, um, But they've never been, in my mind, like really heavy listeners to a lot of things. We would listen to a lot of music around Christmas time. And we would listen to music on road trips. Those were like the main times. Was there anything that sort of stuck out to you as a kid when listening? Because I remember like road trip, like Harry Nilsson was stuck out in my head as a kid. And mm-hmm. then there was like all that Yacht Rock shit that was on the radio when I was a kid. And I, and I hate it to this day uh-huh. <laughs> because it reminds me of my family trips. Uh-huh. Yeah. We didn't have any Yacht Rock. We listened to like, I feel like we had a bunch of CDs and then we would listen to the same ones over and over again. I remember Paul Simon's Graceland was one of them that we listened to a lot. Um, do you know that one? I do. That was a big one in my life as well. Yeah. Though I was older than you because I'm older than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there were some like blues, boogie woogie piano. Oh, I think. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. We had some CDs by Manhattan Transfer, which is like... I know my friend was super into them. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, cool. Like, lots of harmonies, and I love that kind of music, too. But I haven't listened to them in a really long time. But yeah, it's kind of a mix mix of stuff. I love, like, because you mentioned harmonies and singing, I love your singing voice thank you I mean I love your music across the board for the record <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was curious because I love your way of singing and your st- and I was wondering how that how one how you developed your style of singing um is that it yeah I know is that a hard question well it wasn't super I guess I sang longer than I can remember. Um, Like, I started taking piano lessons when I was a kid, but I just would, like, sing, you know, I, like, made up songs and, like, would sing to myself. That's kind of, like, a fun thing for me. It still is. Um, And I was, like, in a bunch of choirs growing up, like, school choir and church choir. Um, So I think at that time, blending was the most important thing for singing it was like okay like you know you want to be on pitch and you want to like match the people around you um and then when I started making songs in like more I want to say pop music but I don't know if that's right word whatever it doesn't matter um when I started like writing songs and and recording them in college it was like I feel like that's when I was experimenting more with like, what do I want my voice to sound like? 
when I'm singing alone and there's nothing else there. And I feel like I maybe went through some phases of like trying to get my voice to sound a certain way. Um, but now it's like, I kind of just sing in the way that feels the most comfortable to me and don't think about it too hard. Does it, I know, I, I hope this doesn't sound corny, but does it sort of organically come out of you with what fits the song, if that makes sense? I don't know if that was articulated yeah. as well as it was in my head. No, no, I think so. I, I think so. I mean, um, I think that, you know, you can sing a song in a lot of different ways and it can still fit, but I do think it just organically comes out of me in the way that feels like comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find, and this is something I've been like obsessed with recently is like singing and how people sing. And like, I went down a Pavarotti wormhole recently, which I, there's like Pavarotti did its tune with fucking James Brown and Lou Reed. Whoa. It's the same. It it was a benefit (laughs) concert. And it's like, they did, it's a man's 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 world with James Brown and, it's not is it lovely day by lou reed i can't think of this song but it's like but it's wild to see lou reed and Pavarotti sing next to each other because lou reed's just johnny mumbles and (laughs) 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 but i was fascinated and then i've read bono's memoir and him talking about all the influences like you said like you sang in the church and like he was talking about how he was like the way people sang hymns in his church and then like the sports songs that the soccer people would sing like but it wasn't like the so it was like all these weird and so when you learn all that i go oh that's why you fucking yell like you do when you sing bono <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah it's very church and football-y yeah i know it was like why it like altered the way i've tried to listen to people and go like okay what what is the what is the influences all the way back to like your church and i'm like curious if that connects to you yeah it definitely does now I'm just thinking I was listening to your interview with Greta Klein and she mentioned like singing quietly because she's singing in apartments like thinking about the people below her and I'm like oh yeah I definitely do that too yeah yeah no it's really interesting and it's not something I've really thought about before like why do people sing the way they do I've always thought people like either just sing in a way that like comes out or they're like, I want to have this affect, so I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, yeah, people are just around different influences. Did you, do you sing or did you sing? Uh, no, I wish I could, but that's what fascinates me is because it's like, you know, you got guys like Dylan and Blue Reed who appear to be limited but they're not really as limited as we think they are because yeah. of the emotion they can convey. Right. And it's interesting, James Austin, the guy who's on Saturday Night Live right now, I kind of know him and I can't oh. believe I'm flaking on his name. He does he does Trump and stuff, James Austin Johnson. Okay. I think that's his name. My okay. wife is friends with him. doesn't matter. But he <laughs> broke down the different decades of the way Bob Dylan sings and it's like, it's wild when you realize like, He's had a wide variety of approaches to how he sings. And it's like, mm-hmm. but you think of him as like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Where does that, where does that version of him fall on like his timeline? Do you know? The early, the mumbling, like the, I would say yeah. it's like 
according to his, it was like a Tonight Show appearance where he broke it all down. Yeah. Earlier stuff, because then he's like later on, he got a little bit more raspy and tired mm-hmm. and sort of like. And somebody was saying that like Sinatra did, I think did two diff, uh, two interpretations of My Way, where at the later in his life it was more of a, a interpretation of like My Way didn't work out so well. I failed a lot, mm-hmm. and, I, and I was like, wow, that's like yeah. so mind blowing to me. <laughs> Yeah, so is the moral that, like, people get sadder as they get older? (laughs) I mean, if Sinatra said, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Do you subscribe to that, that we get... No, I think the opposite is true. I mean, I think being... Well, being a kid is, like, its own thing. But then I feel like once you get to be an adult, at least... I mean, okay, I'm 27, so my experience is limited to that. But... I will say for me, since becoming like a teen, it's only gotten better as I've gone along, not in a straight line, but in an overall trajectory. Yes. Have you had heartbreak? Yes. I'm, first of all, I'm sorry for that. Thank you. But I, f- I do feel like you can mine those moments to find... Instead of like, and I, it took me a long time to be like, get over shit and like, mm-hmm. and not, I, not, that it's not my identity and it's not who I am. It's just a thing that happened and I can move on from it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I'm definitely still working on that. But, I don't know. It's just like, even when I'm feeling like really bad, I feel like it's, I have an easier time feeling really bad than I did when I was younger, if that makes sense. Maybe because I've seen it enough times where I felt really bad and then felt okay again, where I feel like I can kind of like weather through it. You learned that you're resilient or that's how I would say I approached it. Yeah. And it took, and I'm, it took me longer than probably the most people. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it's important to remain curious. Like, yeah. I think that's why you look at kids and they're so excited. It's like they're curious and everything's new and they're like, ah. And I think as we get older, a lot of us allow ourselves to get grumpy and be like, bah, that song sounds like the Stooges. And it's like, fuck off. Like, like that approach is the lamest approach ever. Well, it, I mean, I feel like some people genuinely enjoy being grumpy, which is fine for them. <laughs> but but I think, like, yeah, it's like if you're going to be, like, sour about everything, like, it's only going to make your life less fun. Yeah. I mean, there's, like, certain aspects of the world, like, create, like, the state of film, we'll say, <laughs> where I get pretty bummed out about it because I'm like mm-hmm. but I expect more and I feel like that's okay to expect more from what we are given yeah definitely yeah it's weird I feel like you don't have to accept everything as it is or be like everything's just fine in order to like still be optimistic like I feel like you can be like 
things suck right now and like have a little bit of hope for the future i don't know yeah it sounds kind of like trite i don't don't know (laughs) i don't think so though i mean if you do you subscribe to any sort of philosophy or spiritual hoodly do or are you just like i hear you're uh, just a nihilist and you get drunk all day and punch cops is that true that's what i do that's what i do all day (laughs) um no i don't really have like some spiritual beliefs but they're pretty nebulous and like i feel like i'm still figuring it out i guess because the real reason i asked you to do this podcast is because i want to talk to you about jesus christ Okay. Damn it! You're not supposed to accept it that easily. (laughs) No. I mean, go ahead. Yeah. No, I just uh, I've been thinking about religion and spirituality a lot. I I, I mean, I've been reading a lot of Buddhist stuff or Zen and Mm -hmm. and like Shambhala type. I don't. Shambhala is a sect of. It's like sort of a. Do you know what Shambhala is? It's like the first guy who was, he actually came here before the Dalai Lama. He was the first monk to come to the West. And it's okay. more of a secular approach to Buddhism. And uh, and the guy studied like Western culture and sort of adapted it more towards Western thinking. Like he would smoke and drink and had kids, which is not really mm-hmm. m- very monk-like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but more relatable for sure. Definitely. And yeah. he wore sharp-ass suits. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like been speaking to me along what we were just talking about on that sort of like seeing something that's awful, but also being able to mine it for what you can learn from witnessing something horrible Yeah. to, to gain empathy from it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Does that feel like a, like a spiritual pursuit for you? Um, I guess... I mean, I guess it falls under the umbrella of spiritual, but I mean, like Buddhism isn't, they don't, there's, they don't believe in God. There's no God. Yeah. I think my take on reincarnation is, and I'm sure somebody else has thought of this, is more like, it's not like we die and go into some caribou or whatever the fuck they think. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like we die or we are reborn would be a better way of putting it number of times in our within like I'm not the guy I was when I was 21 I'm not the guy I was when I was 27 I'm not the guy I was five years ago and I feel like those Mm -hmm. people that's to me reincarnation to a degree that's how I view it Mm -hmm. maybe being reborn in your own life spot yeah believe me if you saw me without a shirt on I would love to go and be in somebody else's body No. <laughs> I would love to be a caribou, honestly. That sounds nice, but... Yeah, they're pretty uh, groovy to like. Yeah. Majestic. Um, I w- wanted to go back, and we went on a tangent there, which I love. But when you were saying you related to Greta Klein's singing quietly, I was curious, because... But I don't think of you as someone who sings quietly, but there is a... No. I don't think of myself that either, but, um, but I do sing quietly when I'm singing at home because I live above people aware of them always. They should be (laughs) grateful that they live below a great musician. Maybe they are. I don't know. They're honestly like great neighbors and 
I feel like we have a very normal neighbor relationship in that we're like friendly but distant you know yeah it's like kind of a classic thing um yeah yeah I really like playing and writing in my own room and my own space so that's why I do it but every now and then I'm like it would be cool to have a like, I, I use a practice space when I'm playing with other people, and especially, like, drummers. But um, but every now and then I'm like, oh, it'd be cool to, like, go to a practice space to write, because then I could, like, really sing super loud and not think about it that hard. And you write on your bass, too, correct? Usually, yeah. Have you written on piano at all? Do you play piano still? Yeah, I don't really play it much, but... Uh, but I do sometimes, and I sometimes write on piano still. I used to do that more often. I mean, when I was in school, there were literally, like, hundreds of practice rooms that all had a piano in them, and I could just, like, kind of walk in and be like, hello. Um, <laughs> now I have my little keyboard, and, um, but, sorry, I'm just, look. I just looked at it as I said that. <laughs> just turned around and looked at it. Um... Yeah, but I I don't know. I like writing on the bass right now, so that's what I'm listening to. I just I don't know how to play bass, but I I didn't know if that was is it as give you a wide range as like say piano or anything like that. Does it matter or does it suit what you're what you're saying? I think for me, I like. Well, I like harmonizing with myself, which you can really do on any instrument that's not a wind instrument, obviously. But um, but I think there's something about the bass where it's, like, truly very simple. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but it can be very simple in that you're just playing one note at a time. And so I can just sing and play and basically be making a chord with myself. Um but there's a lot, there's usually a lot of room for someone playing guitar to interpret it harmonically, like in different ways. So like, I might be thinking of the chord in one way, but it's like, you could add like three other notes and it could be kind of like a different chord and that's cool too. So I appreciate the like open-endedness of it, I guess. What drew you to the bass? Um, I started playing the bass because my dad had a friend who got divorced and moved across the country and was getting rid of a bunch of stuff, including a bass, and was like, you like music? Do you want this? And I was like, okay. And then I was at home for the summer and, like, didn't really have that much to do, so I would, like, hang around and just, like, mess around on the bass. And... Yeah, that's, like, why I started playing it. I wasn't like, I want to play this, so I'm going to do it. I was like, I love that. I love how <laughs> serendipitous that is. Yeah. And if that guy too. would have been better at communicating, he would still be with his wife, and you might not have this band. <laughs> I know. Notice I blame like, the guy. <laughs> right. Well, I don't really know about the situation, but I'm just, like, it's kind of weird that, like, this person's, like, personal, I don't know, like bummer of a situation turned into like something fruitful and 
good in my life. Goes back to what we were saying earlier. Yeah. I th- but that's fascinating to me, and it's I just love how one. Like, I mean, a lot of bands start that way. It's like, if I wasn't sitting in this cafe and struck up a conversation with so-and-so, this band wouldn't exist. Yeah. And yeah. you all were, like, hanging out on a porch, kind of, right? I mean, you met in school. It's kind of like a, I don't know, there's like a multiple-story thing I've heard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all went to school together, and then... um, But we weren't, like, close at all. I mean, I would say... Yeah, Ben, I knew a tiny bit. Emerson, I didn't really know at all. And then we just all ended up in Chicago for various reasons and ended up hanging out because the people that we knew in Chicago were people from Berlin. And um, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. I guess, well, I guess I was playing some shows alone, like solo, just me and the bass. And then Ben was at one of them and was like, oh, do you ever want a guitar to play with you? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then we were playing together and then um, we were like, it kind of feels like we need drums. Like Emerson plays drums. Let's play him. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, we just did it. <laughs> so you were doing solo sets just with you and a bass and singing? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I did a couple of those. Yeah. And I've done a couple I hadn't like for a few years and then I did a couple recently because also Ben moved to New York so he's not really playing with Moontype anymore oh no good change yeah I like his guitar playing yeah he's really good really really good um but you know life life moves around um but I think like when he moved it was like okay like what do you know the three of us have been like a very tight trio so like in that space of kind of figuring out, you know, who do we want to play with or how do we want to move forward? It's like, I, I was like, oh, I'll just play some solo shows again, which I've done in the past like six months or so. And that's been nice. I would love to hear, hear that. I guess it. I wanted to go back to two things though. Ben, mm-hmm. So you're not going to try to do it long distance? Keep the band? Cause, not right now. No? Because Deerhoof, yeah. none of them are in the same city. Yeah, I know people do that. Um, I think for us, it's like just not not right for the moment. But but maybe, you know, maybe one day down the line, who knows? Yeah. Are you going to keep Moontype going? Yeah, for sure. Okay, good. Because I've really... There was definitely... There was a moment when I was like not sure, but I'm like very sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I just, the album is so great. And like, I don't know, there was that, I don't know if this is how to describe it, but when I first heard it, it felt like it was already in my brain. Like I, there was something about it that I really related to. And like, not saying like, oh, it sounded like the Stooges. (laughs) It's like, there was just something natural to my liking of it or something i don't know how to describe yeah. but it was like and i felt like i had heard the songs before when i hadn't well because i would cool. try to predict where they were going and i would be wrong so i knew i hadn't heard them <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, um that's cool that's really cool yeah i just did i i find you to be very talented and 
I look forward to what you will do in the world. I do too. (laughs) Uh, When you're not drinking and punching cops. Yes. Which is like, you know, takes up most of my time. So there's only like a little bit unspoken for, but if you have a Patreon where you post videos of you punching cops, I will subscribe. (laughs) Okay. Oh my gosh. If only I could. Yeah. What? Now I'm like really dreaming about that. Punching cops? Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because I, I grew up in Chicago and I was like, I thought Chicago cops are, were bad and they're bad. But LA yeah. cops, because a lot of L, uh, Chicago cops are uh, not to body shame, but when I was a kid, a lot of them were huge in the, okay. in the they liked pasta and donuts type huge. Sure. I mean, as, as do I. And I yeah. do too. <laughs> That's why I want to be in someone else's body other than mine. <laughs> but like LA cops are like fucking fit and scary. Okay. Like they look like they spend their day preparing to beat people. Yeah. Frightening. That's frightening. But the thing is, even cops that are not super fit, like have guns. So. Yeah. And other tools. And um, Yeah. All this other all these weapons did um what drew you to chicago though um i so i grew up in boston went to school in ohio and then pretty much like my last year well like my last semester of school i was like really just like what am i doing what do i want to do with my life i have no clue kind of like staring into the void i was like i need just like a plan because I didn't really want to move back home even though I do like my immediate family but I was like I want to do something different Oberlin's not some people stay there after they graduate but it's just a really small town so there's not too much um available in terms of like jobs and stuff so but I had some friends in Chicago and one of my very, very best friends, Nora, who actually designed that album cover, um, had just moved like a few months before I graduated to Chicago. And she was like, yeah, I need a roommate. And I was like, let's live together. <laughs> Great. <laughs> now I have a plan. Go. And then I moved here and I had no job and I had a super stressful first like six months and then it became okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you noticed that things seem to move like just listening to your story. I'm like, things seem to fall in place for you. You get the base. Uh huh. And yes, it's interesting. It, it is. Yeah. I do think I, I mean, I've thought about this before. I think I'm an extraordinarily lucky person. Definitely also privileged in a lot of ways. Um, but also, yeah. Not everything works out for me, but a lot of things do work out for me, which is cool for me. (laughs) (laughs) It is cool for you. Yeah, but then I don't always feel that way. Like, sometimes I'm like, wow, everything's shit. But it's like when I look back on it, you know, like the first few months of living in Chicago were like very bad. Like I was really having like a very bad time for a lot of that. But now looking back on it, I'm like, okay, but like. I love Chicago now and I'm so glad that I moved here. So it kind of like works out all right in the end. Yeah. And you look back at those moments and then it becomes a little romantic. 
or at least my struggles in that city. Yeah. Like I look back at my time in Chicago and it's just like, I'm like, I was living a dream and it was kind of an absurd life. Yeah. So it was very fortunate. Yeah. I think there's some things I look back on and I'm, that are absurd and I'm like, so fun. But there's sometimes that I look back on that I'm, I'm like, that actually sucked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay too. I don't know. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, but I do think I am a very lucky person. Yeah. It's such a great creative city. Like it I, is. Like I was involved in the theater world. I, mm-hmm. I did Second City. Like I worked there for, I started working there as a dishwasher as a kid. And then oh, wow. I worked as an actor there. And then, but like, yeah. but I also, we intermingled with the music scene a lot. And it was like, yeah, I know. It's just like, it's, and it's like, no one waits for like people just do stuff they don't fucking wait for it like they're like oh fuck fuck you i'll do the show myself (laughs) which i love i love it too i love it a lot yeah i mean i work at um a venue called constellation i'd love i i follow constellation i only love constellation because i've never been there but they all the people I love play there. And I, yeah. uh, like Ken Vandermark, I used to go see all the time when I lived in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah. this was before pre MacArthur genius award, Ken Vandermark. This was like in a right. small coffee shop for like $5, Ken Vandermark. And it was, yeah. fuck that guy. Not in, in the positive. <laughs> fuck that guy. Like yeah, he's yeah, just, yeah. he's so talented and he's such a brilliant brain. Yeah. Like he's great yeah, to talk real. to. Yeah. Yeah. And like. And Macy and Seema from, from Mm -hmm. Phenome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who interviewed you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if I've ever listened back to that. It was really fun in the moment. And I'm like, I feel like, yeah. Um, yeah. I just saw Macy on New Year's and she was like, she just came back from touring by herself in Europe for the first time. They're like, I wouldn't, I, I am enamored is what I I would say. Like they're just this, their presence, the music, the talent, there's so much to them that I'm just like, I probably would be intimidated to meet them and I'm not easily intimidated because I'm very good shape and strong and muscular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As we've established. <laughs> um yeah, no, I mean they're both super sweet and I'm so glad to know them. And I pretty much know them because of working at Constellation. I met a lot of people that way. But also I think the Chicago music scene is like very um small and supportive. It's not very small, but it feels small. And that everyone knows each other. It seems to be like that's what I love is Macy play, has her thing, but then plays with Vander, improvises with Vandermark, and I'm like, I know that's yeah. wild to me. Yeah, I mean Macy is also just like insanely talented she in a is. lot of different. Yeah, and it's cool that she can like express many different facets of that in one city. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh because it's true and it's great. And it's like, 
do you do the jazz? Is that's the proper way you ask that question? Do you do the jazz? <laughs> um, I don't do the jazz. I don't do the jazz. Um, I'm I'm jealous of people that do the jazz. I think it's awesome. Uh, but I've never really had the chops on any instrument to be able to do that. Um, plus, I'm scared. I I would imagine. I don't. I don't. I. That seems like, but I also feel like there's probably, I don't know, I've talked to, I've talked to Macy about this on, on my podcast about how, mm-hmm. you know, she, I asked her about it and she explained it better than I will. But like, you know, it's a conversation and there's tools and boodly do's and, and I was like, oh, okay, I still would be scared shitless. But that's easy for her to say. She can play 50 instruments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would love, I mean, especially like the the improv side of things the jazz free jazz improv like I would love to try that to know what that feels like because I just think that's like a wildly different way of playing with people when you're like in the moment doing things and listening to each other and it seems really cool to me. I would love to try that, but I haven't gotten over my own fear yet. But I feel like it will happen in my life. I think it will. The yeah. way your life seems to move forward, it seems like it will happen. Yeah. I can't speak for you, but I feel like anytime I've been that way about something, it's my own block of like, oh, yeah. I can't do that. And then... yeah. Uh, but as we established within seconds, I have some brain issues. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm exactly the same. I know I know it's my own. Like, yeah, there are limitations on how well I could play an instrument or whatever, but it's like, it doesn't really, like, depending on what you're trying to do, like, that's not really, like, like, I know that that's not the limiting thing. It's like, it is the internal block. It's telling myself like these people are really good at something i'm not good at that thing so i can't play with them you know yeah I and mean, it's not them telling me that it's me telling myself that plus and i know like vandermark plays on like a very cerebral level at times where it's like very technical stuff which i yeah. have i will not even begin to pretend i can understand <laughs> yeah i can listen to it and go I like what I hear, but I couldn't uh-huh. tell you like, well, he played that A flat minor because of the B, like that I would be like, yeah. but I feel like you as an artist can convey your feelings. And that mm-hmm. seems like really, as the old jazz guys say, as long as you can swing and groove, that's all that matters. And I believe yeah. you can swing and groove. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't always believe I can swing and groove. But I do think that conveying emotions is, like, what I care about the most in music. So it's what I focus I think, I don't, that's what I relate to most. Like, if I listen to old blues music, because I have friends and I want to slap them when they say things like, you know, like, well, yeah, but blues is just three chords and anybody can do it. It's like, yeah, you can't sing like John Lee Hooker or Mama, mm-hmm. you know, any of them so fuck off yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and blues is like 
I mean, it's just like raw feelings pretty much. That's always what seems to, uh, I gravitate back towards is that mm-hmm. something with an emotional base. Yeah, me too. And anything cerebral, I feel like I my mind will doesn't hang in there as much. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like cerebral music, it's like I can enjoy it in the moment, but I'm not going to seek it out necessarily. Um, but yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, some of that old blues stuff, like there was some f- really famous record collector died recently. He was like a thousand. Mm-hmm. And he literally had thousands upon thousands of like old f- 78s and stuff from like he was the biggest collector. And they, I saw a video of him playing some dude who I can't even remember, but barely playing anything on the guitar, two chords maybe. And the yeah. amount of emotion that was coming out was like, you can't, analyze that you can't be like well that's just two chords it's like yeah well i wept (laughs) yeah 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 simplicity doesn't mean i don't know that you're missing something (laughs) exactly do you when you write do you is it come from an emotion is that are you expressing emotion first is that where you're jumping off from yeah when i write successfully yes um I think sometimes I try to write when I'm not in the space of like totally accessing my emotions and that's when it usually doesn't go that well where I'm like you know just stringing notes together and I'm like this is kind of cool but like it doesn't it doesn't hold me it doesn't drive me to like keep going so yeah, I think when I write successfully, it's like coming from a place of emotion. Yeah. Do you, can you sense when you're writing, like, do you know immediately like, okay, I'm on the, this is happening or do you still struggle regardless if it's coming from an emotional space? Cause sometimes when you struggle, you're actually doing, or for me, if I'm struggling, I'm actually doing better work than I think. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, I don't know. I feel like I'm still figuring it out. (laughs) Um, I feel like I, if I am writing from an emotion, I can feel when that is like genuinely happening. And I'm like, okay, I'm like in the right spot now. But usually it's, I get in the flow of the moment and I'm like, I just like follow whatever I'm doing until I get to a place where I stop. And then I always, I mean, I always make voice memos of stuff that I work on and I'll later like listen back to it and be like, does this still feel emotionally potent or not? Um, and I feel like that also helps me figure out if it's worth pursuing the next piece. Yeah. Have you, do you ever go back and look at old stuff that you thought maybe wasn't working and realized, oh, this is much different than I thought? Yeah, I do. But it's really hard because I'm writing from an emotional place. It's like if I wait too long to finish something, it's hard to like get back to where I was 
when I was started writing it, if that makes sense. Yes. So it's like, if I go back to something that I was writing like six months ago and I'm like, this is really cool. Like I want to finish this. And then I try to finish it, but I'm like, but what was I feeling when I was writing this? Like, how do I get back to that? And it would be, I mean, I would love to figure out how to like get back to that emotional state. I feel like it's possible, but I haven't figured out how to do it yet. Right. Is there a connection between, because what, how do you transition from emotional state to a emotional state when you when you're performing live I think for that it's like once the song is a song I'm like okay I've like captured the emotional state within the song and then I can kind of like use it to help me get back when I'm performing it where I'm like okay you know yeah, interesting. Maybe I can like use that too. Because <laughs> you're right. It's like I do that. I literally do that when I am performing, where I like go back to the emotional state I was in when I wrote the song. <clears throat> Although it definitely changes over time. But like the meanings of songs sometimes change for me over time. But I can do it then. So maybe I can do it when I'm writing too. Yeah, because I write. That's mostly what I do these days. But when yeah. I, if I'm writing something bigger and sometimes like, you know, it's hard to get back into the flow of it. Like if, especially yeah. like there's something I'm working on specifically right now. But I find if I go back and start at the beginning and start mm -hmm. reading it and sort of tinkering and fixing things. And then by mm -hmm. the time I get to where I need to start writing again, I've sort of gotten my brain back into the piece. Yeah. I don't know if that helps, but that's... Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I'm reading this, these four paragraphs again. <laughs> but like if I keep yeah. working it and like fixing lines, then I get back into it somehow. Word. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I kind of haven't really... I don't know, dug deep enough on that yet. I don't, yeah, it's an interesting situation to me yeah because sometimes I do find myself like going back to like I'll have written like one verse or something like a little snippet and I'll just play it but it doesn't like sometimes just playing it or like messing around with what I have doesn't translate to being able to hear what comes next but I think it has to do with like where my brain is in that moment. It's like, I have to figure out how to get my brain into the place where it's open enough to hear what doesn't exist yet. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Have you ever had something written for one song and then like you're working on a different song and then you're like, Oh, I could use that and slide that here. Yeah. For sure. That always interests me too. <laughs> yeah, I do that. I do that like pretty often. And it's satisfying when I have something and I'm like, I just want to, like, I love this little like bit and I want to use it, but I can't like expand on it. And then I'm writing something completely different and I'm like, oh shit, like, that can go in here. I can use it. <laughs> a bit has a home. <laughs> I always love too when there's an album and somebody just does a song that's like 30 seconds. And, you know, I, I'm tr I can't yeah. think of any off of the top of my head, but it'd just be like something like, I went to the store and I bought a candy. Do, 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 do. <laughs> like, yes. Oh my gosh. 
Yeah, I love that too. Last night I was writing and I was like, I was writing, I was working on this song about my mom's friend who passed away and it was kind of like heavy and I was like working on some things and I was like, okay, cool. And then I kind of got to this point where like, I was like, I can't really be in this emotional place anymore. And and I started writing a song like that. I was like, <laughs> like la la la, like threw my phone in the water, whatever. It's like, yeah, I think it feels nice to have both, balance of both. When I took a thousand pictures of 